0: Gainesville, Ocala, and South Florida, welcoming you to a uh, new edition of Melden Law and Friends. Uh, we've got two great guests today, um, Terry Silverman, a uh, famous attorney and uh, mediator, and uh, yours truly's uh, wife, Patricia Meldon, who is the director of uh, Hispanic Outreach for uh, Melden Law. Uh, Before we get started with Terry, uh, I want to make everybody aware that there is a huge event in Ocala this coming Saturday at the World Equestrian Center, which is an amazing facility. It's uh, like the Disney World for horse people, and uh, it's open now. And this Saturday, 5 to 8 P.M. Melden Law is sponsoring the Ocala Food and Wine Festival. If you want tickets, uh, just go to Ocala Food and Wine Fest and uh, you'll you'll get uh, the whole rundown on tickets. Uh, They are going to have music, over 50 restaurants uh, giving away uh, food for free. Uh, They've got uh, uh, free beer, wine, uh, booze, the whole shebang. Uh, It's $75, and that includes a uh, souvenir cup from the World Equestrian Center for your favorite beverage. Uh, Last week uh, at the World Equestrian Center in Ocala, we sponsored the Outdoor Expo, and uh, it was a huge hit. Really uh, amazing. Uh, A lot of you that are regular viewers uh, might recognize that uh, we are in different digs this week. We're, this is our first week at uh, Spurrier's uh, Gridiron Grill in Gainesville. Um, it's, it's an amazing uh, restaurant. Uh, people are uh, scrambling to get reservations in. Uh, I have a tip. If you want to get in, come early, um, you know, before uh, 5, 5.30, uh, or come late after uh, 10 o'clock. But the hours right now are uh, 3 till 11, uh, and on weekends, 3 to 12. Uh, Right now, uh, Spurrier's is open Wednesday through Sunday. So uh, don't miss it. It's a museum. It's a great restaurant. It's farm-to-table. It's an experience uh, just coming out here. So uh, you guys are going to really have a blast. uh, out. I'm excited to uh, have our uh, our new uh, podcast uh, room here, and I want to thank Freddie Wiebe and everybody at Spurrier's Gridiron Grill uh, for the chance to uh, operate out of here. Anyhow, uh, one other thing, Meldon Law Talk Live on uh, WSKY, The Sky, is entering its 20th year um, on the air and uh, we're very excited about our partnership with the Sky. Uh, They've been great friends, and uh, every Saturday at 1030, 97.3, the Sky, uh, you can listen to uh, Meldon Law Talk Live. We uh, answer questions uh, for anybody who calls in, uh, and we're glad to help you out, and uh, if you want to uh, If you can't uh, check in on Saturday at 1030, you can go to meldenlaw.com and on our website uh, we archive uh, the shows. You can also go to the Sky uh, uh, website and they have an archive of our show as well. So uh, anyhow, that's what's going on in the uh, north central Florida area and uh, we're ready to uh, get started with our guest uh, Terry Silverman. Uh, Good Afternoon, Terry. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing fine, Jeffrey. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, Terry and I go way back. I think uh, the first time we met, Amanda Maxwell introduced us probably in 1974 or so.
1: That's right. Well, I was a law clerk in the building. I worked for another firm that you were in at the time in the Howard Hall building.
0: Yes, I think you were in Gary Moody's office. No, actually it was Golden and Turner. Oh, you were clerking for Selig, Golden, and Larry Turner at the time.
1: That's correct. For
0: those of you that uh, have been around Gainesville uh, for a while, uh, Sella Golden was an iconic figure. They still have the uh, award for the best criminal defense attorney in the state of Florida uh, named after Sella Golden, and he was a mentor for Terry as well as myself, Larry Turner, and uh, you know a lot of other uh, lo- young lawyers that uh, were up and coming. He was uh, really an incredible man. He was. What a guy he died too early, yes, he did uh, and uh, but those of us that are old enough to remember uh, you know can uh, pay tribute to him. So Terry, uh, give us a little background as far as your legal career. You know, you, you, did you open up an office uh, shortly after 1974?
1: Well, actually, Sally actually helped me get a job at the state attorney's office with Gene Whitworth at the time. And so I worked as a prosecutor there for a couple of years. And then I went back to pra- into private practice with another lawyer there in that same building, the Howard Hall building that you were in.
0: Yeah, so what was great is Terry and I didn't know what the hell we were doing, but they had eight or ten other lawyers in this one office building, and uh, I don't know how you did it, but um, after work I'd go over and uh, whichever lawyer I thought knew the most about the kind of case I took in because back then, if, if you had money... I was your lawyer. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We we didn't discriminate against whether it was family law or real estate or, uh, you know, a uh, you know corporation or a criminal case or a personal injury case.
1: It was amazing, though, the camaraderie in that building and their willingness to help out and to give you advice and to mentor you. I, I don't know if we have that anymore. I don't know whether it's the times or whether I'm getting old or what.
0: Well, I, you know, it depends on the circumstance. Now, we, at Melden Law, we certainly try to mentor our young lawyers, uh, you know, because we've got a pretty good-sized group of people there, and, and we actually have training protocols. But if I just opened up an office somewhere in Gainesville, um, it would be really hard to find mentoring uh, unless it was an office where there was uh, a, a large number of
1: lawyers in a very small space. Well, Jeffrey, you've always been willing. That's the one thing about you to help out younger lawyers. Help out anybody actually when you think about it. You've always been pretty generous with your time and financially I know you've helped a number of people out over the years. Well, I'll
0: tell you, um, you know, I always encourage everybody to to, you know, go to law school because uh if nothing else it'll give you a leg up uh, in, no matter what you go in, whether it's business or law or True. A, any any uh, profession, a nonprofit. My daughter's a lawyer, and she's doing great as you know in the nonprofit uh, sphere of the world. And she would not have had that opportunity uh, without her law degree, because she couldn't have even gotten her foot in the door to get the interview yeah, uh, without right. it. So I always uh, tell people, you know, continue your education and uh, do what what you can. Uh, as far as uh, hanging in there, uh, there's, you know, there's no rush. Believe me, if you're 21 or 22 years old, uh, another two or three years of uh, school won't hurt you. So uh, that's that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Okay, I like it. <laughs> so anyhow, so tell us a little bit about, you know, your
1: career up to becoming a mediator. Well, I did litigation primarily, did some criminal defense because I'd been a prosecutor. And then I started doing personal injury litigation primarily and um, really enjoyed it. And then I, you know, when mediation first started, I went to a couple mediations and I really liked it. I liked the process. So I got certified and now, uh, most of my practice, probably time-wise at least, is doing mediations.
0: When did you become certified as a mediator? Oh, God, I should
1: have looked.
0: It was before 1995. Oh, because yeah. Because you were doing yes. mediations when you and I yeah. shared office space.
1: Yeah. Actually, you know what? It was about in 1995 when I got certified. Now that I think about it, originally, of course, I've had to be recertified over the years. But, yeah.
0: So, so. so t- um, I'd like to talk about how mediation has evolved. Over the years, you know, you've been in it 26 years. Didn't it start like in the late 1980s, early 90s? Yes, yes. And And back then, some of us used it, but it wasn't nearly as prevalent as no. it is now.
1: Well, now every case, at least that's in in court, that's in litigation, the judges require them to go to mediation now, does that before include, they get they trial.
0: Does that include family law cases?
1: Yes, it does.
0: Commercial cases.
1: Yes, it does.
0: So just about. So the judges don't want to screw around with the trial unless they really put see if the parties can settle the matter.
1: Well, what kind of prompted all this, of course, was the backlog of cases and the congestion in the courts. So this was helping to free up cases and free up judges' time. So because what they found was the settlement rate was so high. Once cases got to mediation, once you have the, the parties involved, they're there and the principals, the lawyers, and you're just focusing on that case, that it actually it's a very good process. It works. I think statistically is now 80% or something like that of the cases.
0: And then settled. sometimes even the ones that don't settle might settle a week or two or three later. The adjusters might have to get right. more authority. The parties may need to negotiate uh, medical
1: bills or or whatever the issue is. People step back, think about what they heard, what they learned at the mediation, and, yeah, I mean, it does. What I'm interested to see is um, most of the time the process used to be that they would come to your office and you'd meet in a large conference room, both sides and the mediator, and you meet together. Then you would physically divide them up, and the mediator goes back and forth talking to both sides privately. I have not had an in-my-office mediation or at anybody's office in over a year now since COVID, so we've been doing them by Zoom, and I'm curious. I haven't seen what the statistics are, whether whether we have the same settlement rate, whether it's still as effective not being live and in person as opposed to now being these video conferences.
0: I think um, all the norms are being broken right now, and that, um, for example— Uh, Zoom has opened up um, different kinds of opportunities for lawyers not to have to go to court. In in the criminal court, for example, uh, lawyers might have to have uh, 20 lawyers show up and sit around for four hours in the morning or in the afternoon, uh, basically going through a docket call. And if you happen to be in the last few lawyers on the list, you're sitting there for four hours wasting time not really being productive, uh, whereas now uh, those same procedures are being done by Zoom and the lawyer can be productive working uh, from home or their office and uh, when their case is called um, the judge uh, you know, says we're ready for you. The lawyer is uh, ready and boom everything's moving along. So I don't think that kind of um, uh, productivity change is going to um, ever go back. You can't put the toothpaste in the tube. I don't think the lawyers or the judges want to sit around for four hours waiting for one no. case to be called.
1: No, and I insurance companies tell me you know so many of my uh, mediations I do are personal injury like you guys do. And so these adjusters, they appear where before they'd have to drive from Orlando or Tampa or Jacksonville to Gainesville to have the mediation. Now they do it from their home or their office, wherever they are. And so instead of doing one mediation a day because they had to travel, now they're doing two, three a day from their home. They tell me they're getting a lot more done and they're saving money. You
0: know, yeah, it, it, Well, I remember how difficult it was to schedule a mediation Because uh, you wound up uh, dealing with some guy from, uh, you know, Chicago. Right. On a bigger case, you know, a lot of times you have out-of-state people and they, you know, you're trying to get them scheduled. And it's it's almost a two-day out-of-the-office deal to come down, you know, to Gainesville or Orlando
1: or wherever. Of Uh, course, some of those people in Chicago and... In February, they love coming down here to Florida <laughs> to, to attend. Some of them stretched out to several days. Well,
0: we and we, we can uh, if you're an insurance adjuster and have a lot of authority to settle big cases. We will uh, make arrangements for you to have a great time in Florida. So come and visit us. Anyhow, we're getting ready to take a break on Melden Law and Friends, and we'll be back in sixty seconds. When you're a member of the Gator Nation, you know what it means to never back down. Melden Law has been a proud supporter of the Gator Nation since 1971. Two forces that won't back down. As the old saying goes, if you can't beat them, join them.
2: Oh, my gosh. I can't even believe this. Look. Look what you have done to my truck. Excuse me. It's your fault. It's not my fault. Yes, it is your fault. I am calling Jeffrey Meldon from Meldon Law. So I'm going to call Jeffrey, my husband.
0: Meldon Law, this is Jeffrey speaking.
2: Jeffrey! Discracy here. Discracy lady, you might...
0: New client? Yes, but this one might be a little tricky. Welcome back to Melden Law and Friends here at Spurrier's Gridiron Grill. Uh, we uh, got to take a tour of the restaurant. What do you think, uh, uh, Terry? Unbelievable.
1: I had not been here before, Jeffrey. I'd never, I, I've not seen a restaurant like this, obviously, in Gainesville. It's fabulous. You know, in the kitchen is probably bigger than my house. You know, it's, it's, it's quite a place here.
0: You know, what's amazing is, uh, you know, uh, we're here at Spurrier's Gridiron Grill and Restaurant, and uh, this is uh, our guest, Terry Silverman, well-known attorney and mediator. And uh, he got to get a, a tour of the restaurant, uh, some of the behind-the-scenes things. And uh, this is really um, a one-of-a-kind restaurant that is going to really uh, attract people not only from Gainesville, but the the whole area and from, uh, you know, all all over uh, uh, the state of Florida. I can imagine when we have a big game uh, that this, you know, big home game uh, with the Gator football team, this place is going to be
1: mobbed. Oh, it'll be a madhouse. Yeah. You know,
0: I mean, they're already booked up uh, until October 6th if you want a uh, – Dinner reservation. However, uh, my they're open from 3 till um, 11 uh, on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Wednesday, and Sunday, 3 till, um, let's see, 3, 3 to 11 on Wednesday and Sunday, 3 to 12, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. If you come early, you can get in, and if you come late, you can get in. So uh, you do yourself a favor. Come out, check us uh, out at Spurrier's Gridiron Grill at Celebration Point. So anyhow, Terry, we were talking about uh, mediations, and um, what I wanted to do is to discuss a little bit about the process. What what goes on? Uh, what goes on during a mediation? How do most people have never been in a mediation, so
1: they don't know. Well, it's a a confidential settlement conference, and that's part of what I think makes it so effective is that it's off the record, so to speak. Everything people talk about in there can't be used as evidence later on if the case doesn't settle. So it gives people an opportunity to talk freely about their case and to be candid and forthright about the different aspects of the case. So my role as a mediator, all mediators, is to help the people sit down and kind of explore their case, to take a look at it. I'm like a fresh set of eyes on the case. And to look at the good parts, the not-so-good parts, and to figure out the risk that they're taking by taking the case further and going to trial. Because, as you know, Jeffrey, anytime you go to trial now, you have six strangers on there that are sitting on the jury. You don't know how they're going to, you know, what they're going to decide. So, at the mediation, it's truly up to the parties to decide themselves how do we want to get this case settled. And so, but the process really, Jeffrey, to, in my opinion, starts before they show up that day. What I've always think, thought your firm does very well is preparing ahead of time. The worst that I happen, you know, I've done over 2,500 mediations, is when Lawyers come in, and they haven't provided enough information to the other side to help them evaluate the case properly to to set the stage for getting the case settled. So what you have to do in these cases in personal injury cases we're talking about is the lawyer for the injured party has to provide all the information well in advance what are the injuries, what are the medical bills, lost wages. All those factors that insurance companies look at in deciding how to settle the case, and so the process really starts ahead of time, setting it up, make sure they have enough information that they're prepared to get the case settled, because the insurance company has to have has to get the authority to settle the case, you know, and and you want them to have the most authority possible when you're representing your client, yeah. obviously. A lot of people
0: necessary. don't realize that when. Uh, the uh adjuster comes into the mediation room and we're talking about insurance company adjusters uh even if the case is being litigated they um usually don't even tell the lawyer who's their lawyer representing them what their authority is no. No. I I think the reason is is because you and I got to be good friends with the defense lawyers and they, they don't trust the uh, defense lawyer. Yeah. He might, he might say, Oh, we're, we got, we got, they may not say how much, but they may give us a wink saying, you know, uh,
1: you know. I, I hear it every week. The uh, attorney says, Terry, I don't know what we've got today. You know, I guess we'll find out, you know, as we progress in this, but yeah, it's often not shared with the defense attorney.
0: And, and you're absolutely right that, the preparation for a good mediation starts the day the attorney gets the case. You, you absolutely need to be able to give the insurance company a reason to put a lot of money on the case. Uh, we know at Meldon Law what um, insurance companies are looking for, and we also know that if the mediation is in um, a month from now, we better have gotten all the information to the insurance carrier earlier because they don't have a, just one person decide. If it's a big case, uh, whoever the uh, insurance adjuster is on the case may go up one, two, three, even four levels and, oh, yeah. and have... Even uh, have claims committees look
1: at it. And you know, for, Explain how that works. Well, you yeah. know... What I've seen now is so you you deal with you have insurance adjusters have a certain they can offer up to a certain amount then they have to go to their manager to get more authority then that manager has a supervisor and then when you get the really large cases they get evaluated by a committee a claims committee to decide what this case what the settlement range should be and so but going back to the process of the mediation the, so when they get there what uh, both sides talk about their cases from their perspective and then you go back and forth the mediator meeting privately, Jeffrey, and that's when the mediator really is, you know has his work to do, his or her work to do, is helping them understand the pitfalls, the good parts, so both sides recognize the risk that they're taking by taking it further and evaluating the case. You know, what is the liability? What are the damages? Was the injury were the injuries caused by this accident? Those are all the factors that you have to look at and what is the likelihood of getting a verdict beyond what I'm being offered? And then how much mm-hmm. is it gonna cost me to wait a year to get my case to trial? Is it better settling now and knowing that I have a you know a settlement that I can live with, you know, or do I wait and take that risk down the road? There's a whole bunch of factors. It's very interesting.
0: Uh, on TV now we see um, all kinds of ads saying, uh, "I got you know a million dollars, I got eight hundred thousand, I got you know a million five, and as you know, very very few cases you know are million dollar cases. Correct. Do you see any clients coming in or clients or people in mediations coming in with uh, unrealistic expectations
1: being set by some of these uh, lawyer ads? Well, I don't know if you can, I can attribute to the ads, but, yes, I do all the time. You know, unfortunately, you know, occasionally I see uh, the claimant's attorney, the plaintiff's lawyer that hasn't prepared their client for their expectations are too high, you know, and then they expect the mediator to try and tamp down those expectations, and that's the hardest part of the job. The attorney has told him it's a million-dollar case, but he really only thinks it's a $10,000 case, and they want you to go and explain that to the client. You have to, you have to be realistic when you take a look at these cases, and you have to have your client be realistic, you know, and to not expect a million dollars in every case, you know. What are
0: some of the funniest things that have happened to you during mediations?
1: Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of something really funny. Let me think about that, Jeffrey. I'm trying to think whether I could divulge any of
0: that. <laughs> well, now, if folks want to contact you, uh, it's Terry Silverman. Um, uh, you, you've got a law of practice. What is the, uh, your phone number
1: and website? Well, the uh, phone number is area code 352-377-0770. And the website is GainesvilleLaw.com. I'm really lucky I got that website from a client I had who was doing this before I even knew what this was. He said, someday you're going to appreciate that I got this website for you. So, again, it's uh, what? It's GainesvilleLaw.com. And and the phone number? 352-377-0770. Okay. So, GainesvilleLaw.com.
0: That is an excellent um, uh, URL. And uh, so... Uh, but I went on Terry's website, and he's got a lot of good uh, stuff uh, that you you can read and get some idea about the mediation process. Um, what percentage of uh, cases do you think get actually get to court? Versus you know at some you know from the start of a personal injury case or other cases, um, what percentage do you think actually wind up going to a jury and getting a verdict?
1: I think I hope this is right. I think it's less than 5%.
0: Yeah. You say? Yeah, I would say it may be a lot less than 5%. Yeah. I mean, we we know that um insurance companies tend to put their top dollar on the case the closer you get to trial as a general rule. Correct. Um unless they find something in the discovery process that blows up the case, but that's that's the outlier. That's not the norm. So, um, now what about commercial litigation? Uh, You know, basically, uh, you know, you got a a bunch of businessmen fighting
1: over something. Yeah, and those can be, you know, those could be almost like a divorce. I've done several where long-time business partners had a dispute, and now they're, you know, arguing over things. And sometimes it can get quite emotional, believe it or not. You would think being business people, they wouldn't, you know, they step back and make a business decision, but they can be almost, I don't do any divorces, but I understand that they can be like that.
0: Well, I, it, it would seem to me that uh, it would get emotional because, you know, you know, Joe may have started the business and then Jack came in and Joe feels like, well, I started it, and Jack goes, well, I took it from uh, nothing to something, yep. you know, and yep. that... And then they've they got, you know, emotional investment in, you know, their pride of, uh, you know, what they did, their contribution. Uh, and certainly money is, uh, you know, important. Uh, but and it's
1: understandable, and you have to, in the mediation, you have to recognize that and recognize why they are acting like they're acting.
0: So, so – uh, do you take uh, psychology courses to get all this insight? <laughs> no, but, in
1: but you know, every year I have to take, a, you know, you have to get recertified, you have to take uh, continuing mediation courses, and so you hear all this, you have diversity courses and that sort of thing, and to, to help you to understand, and it's you know, I think it's, I hate to say this, but I think it's maybe a better person. <laughs> I, I don't know. But, you know, I try to be empathetic and sympathetic and understand why people are acting the way they're acting.
0: Well, I, I really appreciate you uh, joining us on meldon Law and Friends to give us your insights, Terry, because um, people... Um, that don't practice law every day have no idea of how cases get resolved for the most part. And the mediation practice is really um, become the norm. Yes. Uh, all, no, the judges go, you know, you guys go to mediation. I don't care if it's, you know, a personal injury case, a family law case, uh, a commercial case, or any other kind of case. Uh, statistically, most of those cases can get resolved. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, why wouldn't the judge want to order a mediation first?
1: Yeah, exactly. So anyhow. Well, Jeffrey, yeah. thank you very much for having me. Uh, I, I got to see the restaurant. I've really enjoyed this. I hope you'll have me back sometime. We will, Terry. It's, uh, you know, you're a longtime
0: member of the Gainesville, uh, North Central Florida community. And uh, we are going to um, get ready for our next guest, Patricia uh, Patrician Meldon, our director of Hispanic outreach, and uh, Terry. Thank you again for joining us on Meldon Law and Friends. We'll be back in sixty seconds.
2: Oh my gosh! I can't even believe this. Look, look what you have done to my truck. Excuse me, it's your fault. It's not my fault. Jesse, it, it's your no, fault. It's I am calling you. Jeffrey Meldon from Meldon Law. So I'm gonna call Jeffrey, my husband.
0: Meldon Law, this is Jeffrey speaking.
2: Jeffrey! This person later, you
0: might... New client? Yes, but this one might be a little tricky. When you're a member of the Gator Nation, you know what it means to never back down. Melden Law has been a proud supporter of the Gator Nation since 1971. Two forces that won't back down. As the old saying goes, if you can't beat them, join
1: them. And I was in an accident. Someone ran a red light and hit me, and I was hurt. You don't know where to turn. Luckily,
0: I called Jeffrey. These big insurance companies, they don't want you to win. They truly don't. But Jeffrey and his firm and people that work here, they just really fight for you. You call the Law Offices of Jeffrey Melvin because you're going to need help and they will help you. The Melvin Law Firm from the beginning has been built on giving back to the community. I enjoy coming to work as much today as I did in 1971 when I opened my practice. I don't look at this as a job, I look at it as serving other people. While we're alive, what better feeling can you achieve than knowing that you've helped other people and thereby you enrich your own life? The Gator Nation will be the first to tell you that in all kinds of weather, we all stick together, which is why Melden Law is honored to be the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators. We hope you never find yourself the victim of a serious accident, but if you do, our team is here for you. Gators won't back down from a fight, and neither do we. We still hear it. The sound of victory. The joy of being part of something great. And while things may not be the same right now, we haven't gone anywhere. If you bleed orange and blue, then Melden Law is the firm for you. Welcome back to Melden Law and Friends. I'm Jeffrey Meldon, uh, founder of Melden Law. As a matter of fact, I wore my pin here that says... Uh, I've been a member of the Florida Bar for 50 years, and I'm very proud of it. I went to a ceremony in uh, June down in Orlando when the uh, Florida Bar had their annual uh, convention, and we had a really cool um, uh, banquet and saw some old friends and uh, it's a big deal uh, being a member of uh, the organization for uh, that long uh, means a lot to me. Uh, I'm working on uh, getting my pin for 75 years in the Florida Bar. Uh, that's my next goal. So anyhow, uh, we had a, we've had a, a really um, a good first half of the show. Terry Silverman and I, by the way, you know, we shared office space together for many years. We've been personal friends for 47 forty eight years uh, our families have grown up together so it was really a privilege having my uh, you know old friend Terry Silverman uh, on the podcast and I would highly recommend that anybody who has a mediation uh, consider using Terry he's got a lot of experience he said he had over twenty five hundred mediations and you learn a lot through uh, experience so uh, Again, Terry Silverman, phone number 352-377-0770 for any mediation need. Uh, Today, uh, we're very lucky to have my better half, uh, my wife, uh, Patricia Meldon, on the show. And uh, Patricia is also the uh, director of Hispanic Outreach at Meldon Law, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, hi, Patricia. Hi. I haven't seen you for an hour and a half. <laughs> How are you a, doing? I'm very good. Thank you for having me.
2: I feel very honored. This is a very special podcast, and thank you for having me.
0: Well, you're very welcome. Let's talk a little bit about um, you know, the Hispanic outreach um, in uh, Melden Law and some of the things that uh, you're doing uh, to let the Hispanic community know that you know, we're, we're here to serve them.
2: Well, um, Elio is my my other half in the making of Elio the, Piedra. Elio Piedra. So, yes.
0: those of you that don't know who Patricia talking about, Elio is uh, what, what's he say? Bring the fiesta.
2: Yeah, think, he bring the fiesta to you.
0: To you, and yeah. uh, he's been all over uh, North Central Florida for the last uh, oh, you know four or five years, and really making a major uh, impact. Uh, as far as uh, the Hispanic community, and uh, uh, Elio has a podcast as well that uh, you're on, right?
2: Yeah, Um, I'm on his podcast every Wednesday, and of course it is in Spanish, and, you know, we promote the the law firm, and uh, we talk about interesting things that maybe people, they, they are not aware of when you have an accident, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. Because sometimes the don'ts are more important than the do. <laughs>
1: <So> <laughs>
2: don't you know, don't talk too much. Just say whatever you needed and keep it you know, zip it up and talk to your lawyer. You yeah,
0: that's it. <laughs> uh, so um, now Elio, you guys have a lot of fun on that show too.
2: Yes. And uh, lately there is a lot of going on with Cuba. People are taking over the streets, they wanna get rid of the system that Of course, it's not working, and they claim that they are the best, but they're not. So now we are talking in order to, you know, make uh, louder the voice of Cuba. And, of course, we are both Cubans, and we are deeply connected to the community. And we want everybody to know what's going on, and you always can do something. So we are working very hard, and uh, we're pointing out things that are happening because there is no – Internet now in Cuba. They block it, the, the government. So the only way that you can know what's going on is by the videos that people are sending here and then. But it's, you know, very risky for them because y- you know what happened in communist uh, countries. They just shut you up and end of the story.
0: Yeah, I know. I was in Havana in 2016 with some friends, and uh, my friend's daughter, uh, who was in her, you know, late 20s, uh, wanted to communicate with her friends and would have to go to an Internet cafe uh, in order to buy minutes to use the uh, yeah. Internet. And uh, it was very interesting because uh, the the Internet cafe was jammed. Yeah. Now what I understand is the government has shut all that down. Yeah. So uh, the people, particularly the young people of Cuba, who got used to getting information from uh, all over the world are now isolated and it's much more difficult.
2: And and even though I, – I don't think that it, it's a 100% freedom in Cuba towards the Internet because they filter a lot. I don't think that freedom is like a luxury. <laughs> Only the people that they are connected to the government, they have access. And, of course, it's corruption and – Blah, blah.
0: So you were born in... Guantanamo. So you're a Guantanamera. (laughs) Yes.
2: I don't know how Guajira I am or how much Guajira I am, but I'm second generation born in Cuba. My my father's side, uh, they are from Istanbul, and from my mother's side, they are from Spain, both.
0: And so um, your family was in... Um, Cuba, Guantanamo, and um, they fled after Castro uh,
2: came in, right? Yes. We were lucky enough to get a visa to Venezuela. Uh, and back then, in order to be in Venezuela, you have to touch two countries, because back then uh, it was uh, Betancourt, the president, and he was very anti-communist. So – So uh,
0: if you came from Cuba – you had, I think you, what two countries did you wind
2: up going you to? You forgot. Now no, he's Mexico in
0: <laughs> Mexico, and Dominican, right?
2: No. Go we ahead. went to Jamaica. Yeah. We went to Mexico and yeah. then to Venezuela.
0: And then to Venezuela. And, and so Betancourt was the head of uh, the president of Venezuela. Betancourt.
2: Rómulo Betancourt.
0: Okay. So he, yeah. what he, he said was, if you if you touch two different countries, then he uh, he felt better letting those people come in. Yes. Well, good. So so you wind up in uh, Venezuela. What part of Venezuela?
2: Caracas, the con- the, uh, the capital. The
0: capital, the biggest yes. city in. Yes. Uh, and and uh, what did your family do in uh, when you got to Caracas? Uh,
2: well, my father at the beginning he was selling fabrics, then. They got a store, and in the meantime, they were working on a a rubber business, manufacturer and we did so, and we still have them, but I don't know until when. And uh, it was a prosperous business, but it was always a challenge, work with the government, you know, ruling and all this, and game changes every left and right, and it was very hard. But today's day, it's even harder. Because right. they they don't help you. I mean, the government they want to. I don't know. I don't know how people survive in Venezuela because the coin, uh, for example, when I left in 2000, it was 700 bolivares per one dollar.
0: So the bolivare is the currency. Yeah, bolivares. You, yeah. And when you left, it was. And it was year, the what,
2: exchange was 700 bolivares per one dollar.
0: And what? And when was that? What year?
2: 2000
0: in the year so 21 years ago it was 700 believer equaled $1 what's it now
2: okay this is the best part today it's over 3 million and we have had two devaluations of the coin okay. so you have to add to those three millions, 6 zeros wow it's like I- hyperinflation hyperinflation it does not the word i don't know what is a believer people with the Print bolivares that the highest bill, the denomination, was um, 100. Uh, they can stamp, you know, use it as a wallpaper. Uh, they do handcraft, whatever, because it's nothing. It doesn't matter so, how much you have. So
0: you could take a wheelbarrow full of uh, bolivari, uh to the bakery, and you couldn't <laughs> have enough to buy a loaf of bread.
2: Mm, exactly. Even more, the last time that I was in Caracas, this is in... Uh, Two thousand nineteen, um, we went to the beach, and in you know, when you go into the beach, there are people that they are selling cocadas. Cocadas is the coconut uh, shake, which is delicious, and they have a sign. They accept transfers. They use Zeli, Zeli, uh, the transfer that Bank of America uses.
0: You mean like a bank wire transfer?
2: Yes, and even uh, to another banks, you know, Venezuelan banks. So even they use the banking here in the United States.
0: And so, if you want to buy a, a seven or eight dollar item, you might do a bank transfer on that. Yes, that's amazing. Yes. Yeah, that uh, I mean, uh, I hear about you know this at home, um, but it, it's been a um, very very. Um, You know, uh, uh, it's been a negative experience for the rich – what was the richest country in South America, Venezuela, because uh, Venezuela has these rich um, oil reserves.
2: The third country. uh,
0: However, uh, as I understand it, the oil reserves are not being utilized for the benefit of the people.
2: Um, Actually – It should have, have, because in 1974, Carlos Andrés Pérez was the president. And before, it was private, you know, the uh, exploration and extraction and gas and all that. And then he nationalized that industry to benefit the people. And it did work for a little bit, even more. Before Chavez, PDVSA, which is the company that runs the oil industry in Venezuela, Uh, It's called Petróleos de Venezuela. It was among the first three companies better run worldwide. Wow. Today, I don't know, it's like (laughs) a thousand maybe in negative.
0: In negative. In negative. Well, we're here on Meldon Law and friends with my wife and director of Hispanic Outreach, Patricia Meldon. And we are going to take a short break, and we will be back in 60 seconds. When you're a member of the Gator Nation, you know what it means to never back down. Melden Law has been a proud supporter of the Gator Nation since 1971. Two forces that won't back down. As the old saying goes, if you can't beat them, Join him! Oh, my gosh.
2: I can't even believe this. Look. Look what you have done to my truck. Excuse me. It's your fault. It's not my fault. Jesse, it is your no, fault.
0: I am fault. calling Jeffrey Meldon from Meldon Law.
2: So I'm going to call Jeffrey, my husband.
0: Meldon Law, this is Jeffrey speaking. Jeffrey!
2: This person
0: no, no, here. This here. You might. New client? Yes. But this one might be a little tricky. Welcome back to Melden Law and Friends. Uh, We're at our new headquarters at uh, Spurrier's Gridiron Grill here in uh, Gainesville, Florida. And we want to welcome everybody. Remember, you can catch us on uh, Facebook melden law and friends or go to youtube uh for video as well and we're on 39 audio platforms so just about any uh audio platform you use you can catch melden law and friends uh today's episode or any in the past we've got them all archived i think we're somewhere around uh week 43 or 44 and we keep uh, cranking them out i think uh We're going to have a big party uh, when we hit uh, 52. So uh, that should be in about, uh, I don't know, three or four months. Three months. (laughs) Anyhow, uh, we are ready uh, to get back to uh, our very special guest, uh, Patricia Meldon, who is our director of uh, Spanish outreach, uh, Hispanic outreach at uh, Melden Law. I want to remind everybody again, Uh, the Ocala Food and Wine Festival this Saturday from 5 to 8 o'clock at the World Equestrian Center in Ocala. It's going to be a huge event with music, 50 restaurants uh, preparing food. Uh, There's going to be beer. There's going to be wine. There's going to be booze. uh, And uh, it's all included in the uh, price of $75. uh, And Melden Law is sponsoring the event, we'll have a, uh, uh, our booth out there uh, with a lot of Melden Law swag. So come and visit us. Uh, we're, we're excited. Meldon Law uh, Law Talk Live. Mel- Meldon's Law Talk Live is entering 20 years on the sky. Turn us, uh, uh, tune us in uh, this Saturday at 1030, 97.3 The Sky. So uh, that's uh, some of the things going on uh, this week. And uh, again, come out to uh, Spurrier's. Uh, It's open Wednesday through Sunday. Uh, Come early or come late because it's all sold out during uh, the middle hours. But it's open 3 till 11. And on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, 3 till 12. And uh, you're in for a treat. Again, I'm here with uh, my wife. And my partner uh, in life, and uh, and the boss, our, and the boss <laughs> Patricia Meldon, <laughs> boss. Uh, yes, tell <laughs> tell me more about um, what when you uh, left uh, Venezuela and moved to uh, the United States okay. and where you moved.
2: Well, um, Chavez took power in 1999, and what I saw I didn't like. I remember my dad saying, uh, "This is the same." Um, speech of Fidel Castro only 40 years later and I didn't want to live in a country where you couldn't have your freedom of speech. I mean Venezuela always was a very violent country. Uh, You always have to walk and look behind your shoulders to see that nobody was following you and that got worse and I remember being in business the first 15 minutes of every conversation was talking bad things about Chavez, and how could that happen, and this is not going to last, and this is not, and blah, blah, blah. You get tired of that, and and something that is very negative, you cannot promote it that much, but you couldn't stand it. I mean, and, and I felt repulsive, that's the word, towards Chavez, and I could not understand how a man that with such a Lie after lie could get the attention of the people. And I say, that cannot be true. I mean, you cannot build a country just by destroying whatever it is. I mean, things were not perfect, but they were not that bad.
0: But you, so you, you know, your family had a, a, a prosperous uh, rubber manufacturing business. I yes. know you early in your career out of uh, college. You went to uh, what FIU in yes. Miami. Yes,
2: FIU. So um, y-
0: you decided that uh, you wanted to uh, return to Miami, right?
2: Actually, that was my plan B, but my plan B became my ABC plan. So,
0: <laughs> so what was your original plan?
2: Um, as A Cuban born, I have the right to claim my permanent residency by the Cuban Adjustment Law. If you are born in Cuba, or your parents are born in Cuba, and if you enter the country legally, and if you stay one year and one day, you are entitled to claim your permanent residency. And that's what I did.
0: So you have priority because of the Cuban Adjustment Law.
2: It was a trade because of things that happened in Cuba, and that's part of the story, but I was not planning to stay. I was planning to get my residency and go back to my life. And and,
0: and you had uh, Becky and Zachy, your two twins. My right? twins. They're yeah. gonna be thirty this year.
2: <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs>
0: and so they're what, eight eight or eight? They
2: were eight years old. Yeah. And they speak nothing, not a word of English.
0: So you pack up the the kids and move to Miami yes. with the idea well we're going to stay here for a year and a day
2: a year no a year, two years maybe because of the paperwork and all that, but my plan was to go back. I had a you know a business, a house, a good life, and I never went back because it happened september eleventh
0: so September eleventh two thousand one yes uh world trade centers are attacked and uh, what and all of a sudden the uh, immigration system is turned upside down and to be you know able why. to pardon. You know why? Why?
2: Remember Mohammed, the guy who was the captain of the that event. Yes. Uh, when he was dead and he killed over three thousand people, his student visa was renewed.
0: Oh, after <laughs> after nine eleven. Yes. His so. So the immigration system was obviously they said, uh, mm, broken.
2: something is not working here. So they shut down immigration for a long time. And I don't remember exactly. And how long.
0: and, and uh, what was your plan B that you you uh, went with?
2: Uh, well, back then I have to made up my mind. If I would have gone back to Venezuela, I couldn't return in ten years because I overstayed my length of time permitted under my visa, which was six months back then. But right. I stayed a year. And I remember asking my lawyer back then, should I apply, you know, for an extension? And the lawyer says, keep quiet, don't make a lot of noise, because if they do not renew it or extend it, you have to go.
0: And you didn't want to go back? at I that
2: couldn't. Day. I couldn't. And uh, then I stay, and uh, then that happened, and I decided to stay. So then I opened a business, and... Uh, I stay, basically. And
0: and, uh, when did you become a United States citizen? In two thousand
2: fourteen. Two thousand fourteen or oh, two thousand. No, no, no. What I'm saying. Two
0: thousand
2: six. You're right.
0: Two thousand six. Yes. And as I understand it, the kid. Well, uh, they were fourteen years old. They were fourteen years old. So were they, what were they born in, 1991? Yes. Okay, so 2005, 2006. Mm-hmm. And uh, so long as they were under a certain age, they also got automatic uh, U.S. citizenship? The day
2: that I saw uh, my citizenship that day, my kids became as well um, American citizens. Wow.
0: Well, and I know they're glad. Uh, Becky, Becky wound up going to Syracuse and, and is now a famous architect working on the Israeli... National Library. A huge, huge project and incredible uh, uh, experience for her resume. And Zachy went to the University of Florida. He's he's a a gator. gator. (laughs) He's a gator and he uh, lives and works down in Miami now.
2: Yeah. At least I have one close and the other one not that close. (laughs) Only 12 hours in an airplane.
0: (laughs) However, uh, the fact that you wound up uh, becoming a U.S. citizen to open up all kinds of avenues for your children as well. Yes, thank God. And then yeah. uh, and then the greatest thing that ever happened in my life was meeting Patricia uh, a little over, you know, the three thing. and a half years ago. And uh, <laughs> we uh, wound up getting married, uh, let's see, okay. June of 2019. Uh, what day? 19, what June, day? June 30th, uh-huh. 2019. <laughs> Uh, at the uh, right. uh, well, we, we got we got married at the new museum, and it, it was really um, uh, pretty cool. Um, that you know, if you anybody's been to the Cade Museum, uh, it's a spectacular museum that uh, the inventor of Gatorade, Robert Cade's family, uh, started, and uh, it's become uh, an innovation uh, museum. I found out last week. It was Fibonacci Day last Thursday, and it, we won't have another Fibonacci Day for 80 years.
2: Um,
0: and the Fibonacci ratio is uh, uh, repeated throughout nature in the pine cone, the seashell, and a it's number everything. of other uh, 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 objects of nature. And uh, uh, the museum is designed after the same ratio. I think it's something like 1 to 1.61. And uh, to give you some idea, the the ratio of your shoulders, uh, from one end of your shoulder to the other end of your shoulder, and your arm from your shoulder down to your finger, should be 1 to 1.161. So anyhow, that's that's what I know about it. Uh, So uh, Patricia, uh, tell us a little bit about what it's like moving from uh, Miami, which has a huge Hispanic population, to um, Gainesville, which has um, a a growing Hispanic population, but is certainly much different than uh, South Florida.
2: Well, to start with, I love Miami. Miami Miami's like my second home, or away from home. And uh, I've been there, what, 20 years? and very vibrant city. Uh, ethnicities are all over, <laughs> colors. I mean, you can be in a store and then all of a sudden you're listening like uh, German, Russian, whatever. And and it's very nice. I mean, it's very interesting. You you know a lot of people that they enhance your culture or your desire to know more about that. And then when I move here to Gainesville, I really love it. I have to thank you for bringing <laughs> me here. People are nice, people are sweet, and uh, they care. Even if you are, you know, like in the garden pulling out the weed, always somebody has to say something nice to you. It doesn't matter what. But that's, that's, that's very nice. I talk very nice about the people and the environment. And I think that it's healthier to live without the stress that you, you are in Miami. I mean, I used to be a realtor in Miami. And if I have to show a property in Coconut Grove, it was like 45 minutes to an hour from my house. So that's not nice.
0: Yeah, I know. It, it, it's like we we go down to Miami because uh, uh, Patricia's son and friends are down there. My daughter, grandchildren are down there. My son, Carrie's down there. So we we go down there. We keep an apartment down there. So we enjoy going to Miami, uh, and we have a great time there, but we really, uh, do not look forward to the traffic.
2: <laughs> we are happier when we come back home. <laughs> okay, so if any,
0: <laughs> if anybody's complaining about Archer Road or Newberry Road traffic, go down to Miami for a week and yeah. you'll come back and you'll go, uh, well, this isn't that bad. Um, uh, we really, um... Have enjoyed um you know having meeting a lot of Hispanic people you know the census came out, and between Gainesville and ocala, there's over eighty thousand uh hispanic uh people and uh just in our neighborhood uh you know we have the abanas on one side are hispanic, and then we had uh we lost
2: one uh, but by- some other will come back. She, yeah, our,
0: our good, our <laughs> good, good friend Lorena. Yeah. Um, Lorena, we miss you. Yeah, she's from Ecuador, and she moved out. Uh, she got a uh, college professor job up in Clemson recently, and uh, we lost her. But uh, it's amazing um, how many uh, Hispanics there are in the Gainesville community, and it's uh, rapidly growing.
2: Yeah, sometimes so, you don't even know that they are Spanish, and then. You realize that they are. It's like yeah. a surprise for you.
0: <laughs> so what we want to do in, in, in Melden Law is um, come up with some innovative ways to reach out to the Hispanic community and uh, let everybody know that uh, uh, no matter what your background is, no matter what language you, you speak, we're here to help. If you call our office and you primarily speak Hispanic, we promise that um, my wife Patricia will be glad to get on the phone and talk with you if you have any questions. Uh, we have uh, Yolanda in our office who's fluent in Spanish. She came from uh, Miami, Sierra. and and we yeah Sierra. Yeah. Uh, so we we have lots of uh, Spanish-speaking people, and we want to uh, you know encourage everybody to uh, join us.
2: Um, and so- those that they don't speak Spanish, they are learning.
0: Correct. <laughs> we, no matter what language you speak, we will help you at Meldon Law. If you've uh, been in a serious accident, you let us know. Gainesville, Ocala, South Florida, uh, we are here to help. Anyhow, I think we are uh, running out of time on Melden Law and Friends. Uh, we're very, very excited. We've got some great guests coming up next week. Uh, again, we remind you, the Ocala Food, and Wine Festival this Saturday from 5 to 8 at the World Equestrian Center. Go there. It's going to be a special event. And uh, next week, uh, we will be back at 1 o'clock on Tuesday Live. And you can pick us up on uh, whether it's uh, Facebook or YouTube or 39 other audio platforms. Thank you again for listening to Melden Law and Friends.